0: Welcome to The Film That Blew My Mind, our weekly podcast all about the heart and soul of cinema. I'm Tabitha Jackson.
1: And I'm John Cooper.
0: Today, our guest is a -a one-of-a-kind filmmaker, a true iconoclast, the indie legend that is Greg Araki.
1: And when we ask Greg about the film that blew his mind... His choice was David Lynch's Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me.
0: If you're not familiar with David Lynch or Twin Peaks, this film is a bit out there in the best of ways, I'd say. (laughs) But just a quick heads up that rape is one of
1: its themes. Twin Peaks first entered the world as a TV series in 1990 and was totally stylized and crazy and obviously Lynchian. But it centered around one question, who killed Laura Palmer?
0: So this film from 1992 is a prequel to the series and, while it's far from a straight line, sort of answers that central question. In the days leading up to Laura's death, we get to know her and understand her trauma.
1: And I relive some trauma just re-watching it.
0: Oh my god, me too. But without further ado, let's get into it.
1: So here we are with Greg Araki. Thank Yay. you for coming in, Greg. Um, Thank
2: you for having me.
1: We want to present you in the correct way so we have a bio written oh, a, about okay. you. So we're going to, you have to sit here and listen about your career just for a second. Yeah, the highlights. Hope you don't mind.
0: So Greg Araki is an icon of queer cinema. Well, uh, all, cinema. all cinema. All cinema. Yeah,
1: Yes. Yeah, okay.
0: That's right. <laughs> I'm going to do that again then. Greg Araki is an icon of all cinema, whose films have been aptly described as giving, quote, a giant middle finger to the mainstream, (laughs) unquote. With a sharp aesthetic and a proclivity towards breaking taboos, Greg's work is best described by a single word, punk.
1: Okay, that sounds good. I'll take it. uh, Well, we'll just talk about some of the films that you've done. You did the Teenage Apocalypse series with Totally Fucked Up, The Doom Generation, and Nowhere. Was I in Totally Fucked Up? Yes. I think I was. Is yes, that you, the one with you gay were bashers? Of, you were one
2: of the gay bashers, yes. With the with, with Alberto, Garcia, yeah, and Mark Marcus. Marcus, who. Who. don't go yes. looking
1: for it because we had ski masks on, so. <laughs> we were just like three skinny boys with golf clubs. Yeah, golf yes. clubs, right? And and remember 19- like,
2: when Marcus is running away, he runs like a girl, so <laughs> yeah, like, we, we he had had wasn't we too sorry. to fix that in
1: post. <laughs> <laughs> Other films include White Bird in a Blizzard, Kaboom, The Living End, and it wasn't listed here, but Mysterious Skin, of course, is a big one of, of yours. Course. And Smiley Face. And Smiley Face. All
2: of which I think... Premier to Sundance. Premiered at Sundance. Because I know you should have these all. All of them. Like, I can't even remember what order they were. Right, just actually, Kaboom every... is the only one that didn't premiere there. It, no, that's because premiered... you went to Cannes. Can. I know. <laughs> but it played at Sundance I know. after the fact.
1: And then you did a you did a 10-part comedy series called Now Apocalypse, which explores identity, sexuality, and artistry in the weird world of Los Angeles. <laughs> and today, Greg is here to share with us the film that blew his mind.
0: Oh, should we, we do, do, it do it with it. a kind of drum roll?
1: Yes. Like, okay. So Greg Araki... What is the film that blew your mind?
2: Well, this was quite a decision for me, and I molded it over for a while. And I picked a movie that blew my mind, but I feel is also wildly underrated and at the time did not really get its due respect. And I think in now, in 2023, or certainly afterwards, it has gained much more steam. But um, it's David Lynch's Fire Walk with me. Which that is from 1992. Sense. That makes sense.
1: I I knew that already. I, think, I can't even face it. But, um, <laughs> I can't fake it. Um, um, I But of... you're gonna, yeah, it's going to take some explaining though. This movie, you don't have to explain the movie, but explain f- what the whole is about. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more about how it affected you. I guess. Yeah. Start With that. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, David Lynch has always been a huge influence on me, particularly sort of the generation I am. I was in film school in the early 80s, mm-hmm. and we all. Wanted to be auteurs, and we were Girl. all so influenced by the filmmakers who had a real vision and a real style and a real unique voice. Yeah. And of course, Lynch was at the forefront of that. So he's always been a huge influence on me, and a huge influence on all my films. And I remember Wild at Heart won the Palme d'Or in I think 1990, and had a huge buzz, and you know was hugely acclaimed. And I like Wild at Heart. I think it's great. Mm. It's not my favorite David Lynch movie. Mm. But so is this far, your favorite? And this is my okay. favorite of all of his movies, and possibly one of my favorite movies of all time. I just think it's so brilliantly executed, and every moment, the style, the acting, the visual design, the use of sound, um, all of the things that he's known for, it's to me his masterpiece. I know that mm-hmm. other people pick Mulholland Drive, <laughs> for, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive is another one that great. everyone, <laughs> yeah. people go to. But, for me, it's always going to be this one because it's there's a purity to it and also there's a weird almost humanity to it that is most pronounced in this movie, I think, almost in any of his other movies. Whoa. There's just a feeling of love mm. and empathy for the Laura Palmer character mm-hmm. played by the amazing Shirley that kind of transcends a lot of his other work, which has a more ambivalent relationship Mm, to its mm. protagonist. This is literally like watching the destruction of this girl Mm. who is so tragic, but yet so sympathetic.
0: It's incredible. And before we go any further, I wonder whether we should, I mean, how do you make a trailer of a movie like this? But let's play the trailer and see how they- (laughs) See if it makes a
1: cut into the podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Her diary, her page is missing.
1: There is no other person who could have known where it was. Did Bobby give you this, or is there someone new?
0: Your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. You made me write it all down. Don't do that. She doesn't like that.
1: How do you know what she likes? Stop.
0: am i i don't know you look just like my laura
1: a town like Twin Peaks, no one is (laughs) in. It's actually a really good trailer. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. uh,
2: yeah. it makes me want to watch the movie again. Yeah, Yeah, I was reading this article about the movie, and Lynch was talking about how that last image of her walking down the street is one of the things that, that's what's in his mind when he Mm. said, I want to make this movie. He just had this image of her walking in the sunshine. It's so crazy because in the TV show, she's literally just an extra she's like a dead body (laughs) right from the beginning right yeah she's right from the start i don't believe i could be wrong i haven't seen the show in years but i don't believe she's even in the show outside of the image of her and everybody talking about her wow i remember when the show came out it was again such you know a time when i was just like a neophyte filmmaker Mm -hmm. and still absorbing all of my inspirations and influences and The show was such a phenomenon. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, because he was the filmmaker behind, like, Blue Velvet Yeah, That's how he got the show. Yeah. And so it was, like, Blue Velvet for the masses. It was crazy. And people would, like, they didn't have, you know, whatever, like, all the streaming and stuff today, but people would literally FedEx episodes across the country to each other because they if you missed it or whatever. Right. That's right. right. You couldn't catch up.
1: I think that's why I didn't do it because it was like it seemed so important.
2: Yeah. Like literally people I was behind people would tape the episodes and FedEx them and and it was just this sense of mass disbelief Mm. that this was on TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Network TV. A B C it was so insane. And I think that for me, as a young filmmaker, was so exciting the idea that it's this little artsy thing, like the guy who made a racer head <laughs> move out of it, right. and now all of a sudden everybody is talking about it. It's like it was in the top ten of like the Nielsen movies. Yeah. So you don't
1: remember when you saw this, you, but you weren't at Cannes, right? Because no, it premiered at Cannes. I was not, at Cannes, no, I was not at
2: Cannes. It was actually interesting because '92 was the year of the Living End. So okay. I right. was. I have another connection to this movie in the sense that. The Showcase Theater on La Brea was playing Fire Walk With Me, and it was such a disaster that it was pulled after one week, and Living End got that screen. Like, we <laughs> wouldn't have had that screen otherwise. Wow. So because of his huge commercial failure... You succeeded. We, we got, we got <laughs> a bigger screen for our premiere. But well, it was,
0: I mean, it was really... It wasn't just a commercial failure. It was the
2: reviled. The critics hated it. it. Booed in can. Boo Like to what? me, I watched the yeah. movie going, how could the French not get this movie? <laughs> like this movie is made for the French. And I remember Lynch at the time talking about there was a bad juju out there for this movie, you know? And it's it baffles me in the sense that it's just. For people who don't like David Lynch, there's a lot to hate. You know right. I mean? Right. Anybody who's a David Lynch fan, it's pure Lynch through and through at the peak of his powers. I feel like, like in a way, because after the success of Twin Peaks, he was kind of riding high on the world right, a little right. bit and had pretty much carte blanche could do it. Everybody wanted.
1: knew him then. Yeah, yeah, he was a household
2: right. name basically. Right. So, at the peak of his powers, the most Lynchian thing he's ever done and just so bold and so daring i during watching it i
0: had two martinis and after the (laughs) second one kicked in i started
1: to understand it
0: i didn't have to understand (laughs) it that was the point i just felt it
1: yeah you don't and
0: the the music the sensory overload the colors the shapes the
1: The, gestures the the art direction is kind of amazing the the style weird nostalgic almost 60s, 60s feel with all that evilness underneath it. Yeah, and it was really that. him.
2: I heard that he talks about it, uh, particularly like this sort of James Dean aspect of the uh, James character right. and the um, oh, right. that it's him sort of working through his own sort of high school adolescence. Mm. And I think he comes from sort of small town America like that.
0: That small town America thing also, I noticed someone talking about the period that he, because he was born in like 1946. But that period after the Second World War, when all these men were coming back traumatized mm-hmm. with violence and psychological problems, mm-hmm. which were then all hidden behind perfect front doors and picket fences. And that seems to be infusing this film as well.
2: Yeah, that's so pretty, I mean, that's what, you know, Blue Velvet is. It's like right. the white picket fence and yeah. the bugs crawling underneath mm-hmm. it. You know I mean? It's always yeah. like the American dream with like the boiling nightmare underneath. And so this, you know, Twin Peaks sort of was that, but this, it's crystallized Mm -hmm. so well in when there's that scene where she's like, do you want to fuck the homecoming queen? You know what I mean? It's like literally Mm -hmm. Laura Palmer's the icon of that sort of American sweetheart femininity and then the dark, dark, just pitch black underbelly of that is so uncompromising and it's just mind blowing to me, and the the way the film Lynch and Cheryl Lee just go there mm-hmm. is like yeah, it, again blew my mind.
1: You knew why he loved her because she would like just do it. I bet she didn't even question it's like she committed to I mean, every that, moment.
2: That was one thing as a director watching it again when I watched it uh, a couple weeks ago before I picked it was that performance. Is so fucking ballsy. (laughs) Like you have to be. That's not like first-time filmmakers' film. It's like just trusting your own instincts and her trusting her director to just go to fucking eleven all the time.
0: I wonder. Do we have a clip that gives us a little flavor of that? They all. would do that. Bob. But Bob is not real.
1: There are pages torn out. That is real, Harold. Okay, okay,
0: well maybe. Maybe. Okay. Bob is real.
1: He's been having me since I was 12. And the diary was hidden too well. There is no other person who could have known where it was. He comes in through my window at night. He's real. He's getting to know me now. He speaks to me. What does Bob say? He says he wants to be me or he'll kill me. No. No. Yes! Yes!
0: Don't know what that title means. Do we have to Fair. watch the series to know? Do you know, Greg?
2: I don't really know. It we were talking about this before. There's certain key aspects of it. Like if you go online, there's a billion websites and it's all kinds a of things of people about people
1: trying to figure it people, out. People
2: like every detail, every mm-hmm. like his films are crammed with so much stuff. Mm. But I don't even specifically know the true interpretation of all of the stuff you know but it's more in the cumulative impact of mm-hmm. the film itself it's yeah. almost to me does it all those particulars don't even matter in a way right. at least for me in the sense that lynch talks so much about dreams and nightmares and his films are very much that and that is a huge influence on my films as well mm. but you know, in a dream, the specifics are mysterious a lot. You right. know what I mean? And the details are weird and why was that? What's what, But you know the feeling and you know the kind of meaning of the dream just from the overall dream. And that's kind of how I approach these movies a little bit. Even if like, wait, how does this not make sense? Or how does she get from here to there or whatever? It's more in the emotional state. Mm. And that's why this movie works so fantastically for me. Mm because it's so consistent and so unified in the psychological state of Laura Palmer. You know what I mean? And she's such a tragic and complicated and fascinating character. Well, and that's
1: why you said it was more human too because he's letting her be all those things. Yeah, and she, so you, yeah, you she, feel the pain Yeah, she, instead she just, of the coldness of yeah, the town. Her, you feel heartbra- her pain. It's really heartbreaking.
2: Heartbreak. It's a heartbreaking movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. As I said, it, to me, it's the most emotional movie. Um, you know, the like Mulholland Drive, you know, there's a Naomi Watts character in it. Right. And she's a super interesting character and I love that movie too. But, it's not the same level of pathos that this right. movie where you just watch this sweet girl just be systematically just ripped apart like piece by piece by piece by piece till she's finally slaughtered at the end. Yeah. And it's so intense. It's a super intense ride, but I think so amazing and rewarding.
0: But I wonder I wonder if part of that reaction at Can, the booing of it, was because it's still so unusual that films Take you to the dark place, and there isn't like narrative redemption. But it's like friends, <laughs> they yeah. love the, the dark
2: place. Yeah,
1: I, mean, I remember when have, have you met when, Gaspar Noe? Eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, and
2: when I, yeah. you know, and when I, um, you know, mr Skin was like a huge, huge hit there. They it loved was. it because it was, you know, about child abuse and dark, 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 dark. And the next film was Smiley Face, and it's like. Was not so loved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like, so, uh, and I remember a French critic, a distributor, he's like, oh, they don't like comedies here. Mm. It's like they are serious, serious. And right. that's why, to me, this movie so French, mm-hmm. so Cannes Film Festival. It's just like <laughs> screaming, standing ovation. I, I think to part me. of was they
1: had were so, such build up. He was already so well known, and they thought it was good. I think they all wanted to make sense of. <laughs> The TV show. Right. That had lots of questions that were never answered. It was like watching this too. And he didn't. He didn't. He kind of like said, kind of fuck you. I'm going to show you like an inner monologue almost of her and more than. Really? Because to me,
2: it totally answers the question of the show, which is. What happened to Laura Palmer? Right, right? you know what I mean. Right. It was yeah. like who, who killed Laura Palmer was a tagline for the show, right. but this totally answers it in the sense that you get all the details of her last night, and you yeah. see that it's it is like the whole yeah. world killed her. You know the way that he uses these sort of symbols of evil, like Bob and all the shit in the Red Room and all that fucking crazy stuff. Like mm. it's like the evil. It's just so palpable, and I think. Again, so French. I, <laughs> yeah, I,
1: have a, I have a weird question for you, which is, it looks like sometimes the actors don't even know why they're doing stuff, but they're so dedicated to him. I think he was a kind of the director; that they just do it for him. Yeah,
2: one of the scenes I was going to pick was the gobble gobble scene, which yeah. is like again to me it's so gobble. fucking brilliant. Yeah. But the idea <laughs> that it works uh-huh. as a as somebody who makes movies like. I, don't think I would ever go on that gangplank and have an actor gobble gobble for the camera And in in <laughs> But have you ever come close tiers. to that?
1: Do you ever have actors that you just know they're not gonna, they're gonna come to you and tell me what this is all about and you just have to shoot it and you just have to tell them, it's go a, out there, say the lines. Yeah,
2: just get out there. Say, no, it's like no. most actors I've worked with, and I get that feeling with him too, particularly in this movie, even if they don't know the particulars, mm. they know what it is. Like the gobble gobble scene, they understand, even if the words are uh-huh, weird, right. what their, as actors, what their intention is. You I know what I mean? Him, I and that's what comes here, like, so does clear.
1: Does he show the script to everybody in the film? Do they all read the script? Or is it, uh, they have their scenes and they're playing them with intensity, but they don't know.
2: I'm sure she it, has the they, whole script. Yeah, I'm sure she has. Yeah. You know, well, she's because in it's, almost every. Yeah, it's like, that's what I mean. It's so so ballsy. I mean, literally, she. I don't know what she had done between... show in this Mm -hmm. like she was definitely not like a well-known star i don't believe right so so risky like you build your whole movie around this person that hasn't done that much
0: watching her as well for me was like she was a kind of a shapeshifter because she would look like a schoolgirl and then she would look like a you know siren And the age, I mean, it was just incredible what she could do with her presence. And, you know, the way that Lynch directed her, obviously. Innocent
1: and sweet and seductive. Yeah. It was really like, almost like watching Sybil. It was like that weird. Yeah. Multi-personalities that come out.
0: So if you were sitting down with David Lynch, what would you talk to him about regarding
2: this film? I don't know if I would talk to him specifically about this movie. I find when people talk to me about my movies, it's like... It's enough to know that, oh, like I'm a big fan. It's yeah. a, as, as a po- I mean, I don't know if I would sit down and go, how did you do this? How did you get this performance? How did you do that? A lot of times you don't really know as a director how or why. <laughs> <laughs> right. What your intention was. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're just shooting the scene and it comes to you how it's going to be done.
0: Yeah. You know, you said it It influenced your work. This film influenced your work. Can you give us any specifics
2: about what you took from this well, it's so. really, ultimately, for me, a Lynch's ability to just march to his own drummer and do his own thing. Yeah, you know right. I mean? And what I love about his movies so much, even when they, you know some of them are very tricky and very difficult and really almost indecipherable, but you know that he knows what mm. they're about. Like, he, yeah. he, there's a sense of like they make sense to him and i think that that's so amazing because a lot of filmmakers there's a lot of kind of lynch wannabes who i will not name but there's a feeling of like they're just making I, weird shit i worked shit. at sundance yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're just making weird shit that. to make weird yes. shit yes. But right. they don't there's no internal logic or voice yeah. behind it you know right. what I mean? it's just like oh then a weird thing happens then a weird mm-hmm. thing happens And a kind of weird hat walks by you it's like Yeah, so there's a a level of just knowingness, and it's his voice, I think, just in general. And again, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just a young neophyte film school brat, you know, eating this shit. Yeah, (laughs) it just nourished me so much. What I
1: heard when you said that is that it gave you the power to be yourself. Yeah. Like that sort of the permission in your life to just, if you're going to make your movie, then go for it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, the problem it's with so many smart, movies is it's a smart that they, thing to learn. Yeah, they yeah. don't have they don't have that. They right. don't have a sense of kind of walking the plank a little bit and yeah. just really going and, for it.
0: And that made me think, you know, it was critically panned and so commercially mm-hmm. it didn't do the business either. But what I was so grateful for was that the work was made. And so it's there for people to discover or rediscover. As long as the work is made, mm-hmm. then You know, you can come on here and say, this is the movie that blew your mind and that made me watch it. It's incredible. And that's the kind of film that so easily may not have been made. I don't know how that film would get made now, but it's the first thing is to make the work. Get it there.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the film was such a flop when it came out, but it has sort of been resurrected. I remember... I don't remember, as I said, I don't remember the first time I saw it, it was probably some sort of press screening or something, I guess, in 1992. But I very vividly remember seeing it at the New Beverly about 10 years ago, probably Mm. about 2011, 12, like a midnight show, packed to the rafters and and fans. like. People hey. just fucking loving every oh, minute wow. of it. So it's, the movie n- never died. I mean, it always has, it has passionate supporters. But in recent years, its critical reputation has been, you know, sort of turned around. Yeah. But yeah. I do think, I mean, especially, you know, I read so many polls of like, Mohan Drive is like the best movie of the 2000s. Right, <laughs> oh, right. And um, I do think that this is his best movie mm-hmm. of all of them. And I love so many of them.
0: So and when you were growing up, what role did cinema play in your life as a kid?
2: Not that big of a role. I was really into comic books when I was a little kid. I used mm. to draw a lot and I used to draw my own comic books. So I was always kind of an artistic kid. But one of the first movies I can remember seeing and absolutely completely baffling me is 2001 was the little multiplex down the street. I remember every fucking scene, like the caveman scene and the spaceship and all of this. I remember everything. I didn't understand it at all. But then again, as an adult, do you understand it? Right, right. No, <laughs> yeah. actually, What's That's no. actually. Yeah, <laughs> what's, that, what's that room at the end about? Or?
1: At least when you're young, you pretend to understand it. And <laughs> then later on, you're
2: like, I don't know. <laughs> Let's go to dinner. <laughs>
0: and that's before you could have the internet and, yeah, you know, go true. in these fan rooms and everyone having their theories. Yeah, there's you like just...
2: a four-hour thing on YouTube that literally explains everything what? in Twin Peaks, apparently. Or thinks uh, it does. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. right.
0: So then what made you the move from being a normal person into being a film (laughs) director? What was that?
2: When I was an undergraduate at UC Santa Barbara, I was always very artistic and always wanted to draw and paint and do stuff like that. So when I started school there, I was originally a pre-veterinary major because I love animals as well. (laughs) And um, my idea was that I would be a vet who paints you know, <laughs> on the side. So I was always taking art classes and my pre-med classes. And I found I just was so uninspired by chemistry and all that and calculus. Like I was getting A's, but I didn't like it. And I mm-hmm. only liked the my artistic classes mm-hmm. that I was taking. And so I was sort of toying with doing some kind of art. And it was really, you know, UCSB had a very small film studies department. And one of my teachers sort of encouraged me to like, oh, you should try film, you know, cause this is 1979, 80. So, you know, just the peak time when everything, <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. know what I mean? you know, the Sex Pistols came out like 76, 77 and, you know, like new wave music and punk rock music. And one of my art teachers was sort of encouraging me like, oh, you know, film is kind of where it's happening. now." And, mm. and film studies, you know, it's funny because when I was in film school, I thought, oh, this is it and this is always going to be here. But now it's actually, I feel like that was a very specific generation, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. film studies was a new thing in the sixties and seventies. Like, you right. know, the nice. film theory, film history, you know, the de cinema and like all that stuff was very specific to that time. And then it all kind of has shifted, you know, and going to film school now, because I went to UC Santa Barbara and studied film studies and then USC to do film production is very different. You know what I mean? In terms of the orientation of it. And we were so, obsessed with like the auteur theory you know i mean Mm. like it was like the big thing is the auteur theory and the pantheon of auteur directors and and hitchcock and Hawks, and all you know all of the all those people Mm. and then international cinema and my last semester when i was a senior at uc santa barbara i took a godard class which was literally like 12 weeks of godard films and it was no turning back from wow. there. So, wow. And it was problematic because the next year I was at USC and I remember I had a teacher because USC is the opposite of that. And, and he literally said, Godard <laughs> 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 they were so, they I would, they just hated me at that school because I was like just this arty punk kid with a funny haircut talking about guitar right. movies. And actually it's funny, Paul Feig was in one of my early classes, like my Super 8 filmmaking class. And I remember he back then was just like the commercial comedy guy. And right. I remember him talking about going to the USC film school. It's like, yeah, I wasn't the Godard guy in my class. And he was talking about me. I was like, <laughs> yeah, the Godard guy. The Godard guy who was doing his
0: comic books. I guess that's your storyboards must be Yeah, yeah. that's, no, that's why, like,
2: you know, I, to this day, whenever I make a film, I'm always drawing little storyboards. And in fact, I just donate a bunch of shit to the Academy Museum and they have all my storyboards for all my movies. And wow. somebody told me that there was a... Page from Mysterious Skin with all the little drawings on it in Beautiful. the Academy Museum. I can say I think that yeah, I remember that. Yeah, right? like people were yeah. like at the opening, like taking pictures of it, uh-huh. and sending it to me. So, film became just a really natural progression for me because when I was in high school, I always used just write like short stories and stuff. I was just like this, you know, creative kid. It just sort of natural progression.
0: So, did you feel like an outsider?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I was definitely you know, I owe this all to my family and the support of my parents and mm. the feeling of unconditional love I've always gotten from my mom and dad. I never felt like a nerdy, unaccepted outsider. Like I was popular in school. I had a lot of friends. You the cool kid. Yeah, I, yeah, but you I was, was also- cool even
1: when I met you. Yeah, but I was always this, like, yeah.
2: more so my own drummer, like mm-hmm. do my own right. thing. And that makes and, you cool. Yeah, and I wasn't even really consciously queer, not really till, I was an undergraduate in college. I vividly remember being at USC Film School in the early 80s. And um, I was not out, which is Mm. unheard of, given the fact that I was this Artie Goddard kid with a funny haircut. Of course, I'd be queer. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) but that's how different it was in the 80s. And it's like, it was really just a completely different. You remember this, Cooper? It's just like Mm. being gay was such a. It was like a secret, it was, incor- a secret know, too, it was a fun secret. You know, it's politically which, incorrect yeah. to, to be fond and, about uh, it, but yeah. it is for a young person. Obviously, the closet is a torturous place, mm. but having a secret life right. on right. the other and literally the gay bar in Santa Barbara was on the other side of the train tracks, literally. Uh-huh. And it was just having this double life was super formative for me in terms of you know my own identity and psyche. Yeah. And,
0: and was there when you became consciously queer, was the cinema there for you?
2: One of the sort of awakenings, and this is, I was actually giving energy an earlier and talking about, because this person's like, oh, oh, you know, Doom Generation is such an important movie to me. It was mm-hmm. like, I was in the closet and it helped me come to terms with my sexuality. Like, I get that sort of comment a lot. Mm. And I talked about how that movie is meant to be Sort of like, like a secret because it's a heterosexual movie by its title, right. but it has a very super um, intense queer subtext, mm-hmm. and it's the idea that it's meant to be a sort of Trojan horse to present as a straight movie, but then with all this queer underbelly, <laughs> um, and sort of convert people to the cause. And I remember as a this is I think I was in high school, I saw Midnight Express in the theater, and the book it's based upon. There is a gay romance in it because the guy's in, the, the guy's in prison. Mm-hmm. But in the movie version, the Alan Parker movie, they cut it out. Like, they wouldn't allow it. Right. But they do have this extended, it's a subplot of the movie where Brad Davis, who is beautiful. Yeah. Uh-huh. And who's later in the Carell movie, which is right. a huge thing for me, that Carell movie, <laughs> Fassbender's Carell. Um, he has a friendship with this beautiful blonde guy. And there's like these sort of romantic scenes of them, like doing pushups, slow motion pushups together. Mm. And they're all slick. And I just remember being kind of really
1: <laughs> like
2: right. unnervingly aroused by it. And just, mm-hmm. it it sparked something in me that I was like, huh, oh, okay. I, like, and I think that it's one of the things about movies that can sort of, Permeate your psyche a bit,
0: yeah, and your body. That they yeah. do things yeah, that like, your yeah. You're body. not even
2: aware of it, really, yeah. and it's very like, oh, yeah.
0: yeah. So when did you two meet?
2: We... When did we first meet?
1: Before Living End,
2: uh, um, yeah. Uh, well, I think it was.
1: You were you were, you were definitely... at
2: Warner Brothers, right? When Sundance was at Warner Brothers,
1: yeah. No, it wasn't at Warner Brothers, but Sundance used to have an office at Warner yeah. Brothers because of, so it was never at Warner Brothers because of. Um, <laughs> Because of Redford, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. They right. gave us. we used to They used to give us an
2: office. And I used to go there. in there and use the Xerox machine all the time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah there was a joke because we would know hear him coming because he had so many chains on his belt. It was like ghost of Christmas Past or whatever. He's like, you hear him coming
2: down the hall, cling, 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 <laughs> cling, 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 cling. It's like Greg's here. <laughs> in those days, I used to. I remember because it was uh, Michelle Satter. Like she's like, you know, we had this independent film program. da, yeah. But. How can we serve you? "You And I said, "Can I use your Xerox machine?" (laughs) And so, literally, I would go in and Xerox like stacks of scripts. And you know, in those days, you had to do that. You had to send your scripts to your actors. You had to send your script to everybody that was working on your movie. And as an independent filmmaker, it's like an expense I didn't want to spend money on. That must be where we met, right? (laughs) Because that that was the day of Alberto and Tony Safford. And then, and also.
1: I helped you cast The Living End. Oh,
2: did you work on the casting? Were you there for Mike Dietrich's audition? Yes, because remember you when were... he dropped his pants or something yes, in the were... audition? It's like this guy's going to get. It was the part Marcus, of us.
1: Marcus who made me do it because he goes, "Greg is afraid of actors," and I was a, I'd been an actor, you know, in New York, and so it's kind of like I, didn't I know was that. there. I was there Wait, too, You like... didn't know
2: Cooper used to be an actor. No, I, th- I knew he'd
0: been. I knew he's got dance in him. Yeah. But no, I didn't know about that's, right. that, that's that why feeling. he's such
2: a showman. Yeah, such a showman. <laughs> that's why he would always put on those performances and dance. Yes. So what? Amless. So
0: at one point you came in and asked to use the Xerox machine, and Cooper said, "Only if you give me a part." You'll no, no.
1: move uh, I never wanted to no, yeah, He asked, oh. asked to shoot in my house, though. In my movies, in was like, Andrea you don't, don't
2: want to be in one of my movies. It's <laughs> like, literally, like, bring your own costume, show yeah. up at this street corner, you're not getting paid, you I probably won't get fed. I had one character
1: that was in two movies and it was never used.
2: Yeah, it got cut out. It was, right.
1: the, it was that weird, it, like, that's why I know filmmakers do that he didn't tell me why I was doing this stuff I just did it you know yeah, like, just do sure. it just trust me yeah right yeah. walking in weird wow. outfit with a boom box and I was blind I think <laughs> and I could never do that now
2: yeah all those movies <laughs> have those characters in them so
0: I want to get back to this movie because back to, back to, back firewalk, back with to firewalk with me because when well, it just reminded me after I've had, I'd had my two martinis and I could just relax into being in someone's subconscious is how it was feeling that then Lynch takes us to this dark place of of as you said the kind of psychological landscape of someone a young woman who is being raped by her father regularly and it's like whoa right. this thing this that
1: guy, cinema like, can do thought of as Bob Bob was the alter ego right like, that, that part I did get that and the thing
2: deep. with the fan is just right. What's the thing with the fan? It's just like, he uses it kind of symbolically as this, I mean, it's just such a rich image of the fan revolving in the ceiling. And oh, and I the little boy, co- yeah, the little boy comes up to Laura and says, he's under the fan now. You know, it's the idea, I think, is that she focuses on the fan as she's getting raped. Right, right. I mean, right. like a she thing, would, like yeah. she's, because a lot of people, when they talk about being raped, they like leave their body. You just yeah. sort of like transport to somewhere else. Yeah. And, and that
1: whole thing about the angel, the angels are gone the angels can't help her
0: oh like, let's i think we have that let's that. listen to that because it's so powerful
2: do you think that if you were falling in space that you would slow down after a while or go faster and faster
0: faster
1: and faster For a long time, you wouldn't feel anything. and Then you'd burst into fire. Forever. And the angels wouldn't help you.
0: Because they've all gone away.
2: Yeah. hats off to David Lynch. Uh, um, uh, Moira Kelly is playing a character who is portrayed by a different actress in the show. It's Flynn Boyle in the show. Okay, and, I mean, that makes sense. Okay. And Moira Kelly is, to me, so much better than, than Flynn Boyle. But it's it's in the world of Lynch that he just replaces her and you don't even... It's just right. like, okay, Donna's played by somebody else yeah. now. And I actually think Moira Kelly is such a fantastic job in this movie. Yeah.
1: She looks absolutely perfect. She's so beautiful in it.
2: Yeah, but there,
0: in that scene, you've got the incredible close-ups and you've got the, the space between the words. So do you think mm. you'll go slower or do you think you'll go faster and faster? It's like a lifetime when uh, you're yeah. in Cheryl Lee's face, mm-hmm. wondering what she's going to say. And then you never think she's going to get to the angels. You're, you catch on fire and the <laughs> angels don't help because the angels are gone. It's, it's so, it made me think just like what cinema can do, which is allow you to look at these ugly things that you don't want to look at by finding some beauty in it. Mm-hmm. And what, how she says and how she talks and how she's framed and how she's lit. I just think that that's why that scene blew my yeah, it's mind. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Was there any character in that film that you related to in any way?
2: I don't know about... Reli- I mean, Lord Palmer for sure. I mean, I feel like... I don't know if I related to her so much as felt for her. You know what I mean? And that's... Yeah. The emotional component of this movie, I think, is so powerful and so, in a way, not Lynchian. Like, his movies are normally not... So raw and emotional. Mm -hmm. You know, this one is really so heartrending to Mm -hmm. watch, you know, Mm -hmm. to just see her. She's
1: raw when she's happy and she's raw when she's she's being raped and she's she's raw when she's sad. From the minute you see
2: her, like it's like when that music starts to play and she's walking down the street, it's like you know what's gonna happen to her. It's Mm -hmm. you've already it's a prequel, so you know where she's gonna end up. And it's just like watching her descent, yeah, you know, watching these last days of her. And so it's always in the back of your mind that she's going to be killed. Yeah, So it just makes the whole thing such an emotional experience, I think. And a lot of these movies don't have that. They have a more of a detached point of view. I'm thinking of Lost Highway mm. or Wild at Heart or any, you know, a lot of them, you're a little bit removed. Yeah, You're not so watching this young person just literally be destroyed in front of your eyes it's well, really that,
0: and in front of your ears because the music is oh, yeah. the music is phenomenal
2: the music and the, just and, his general sound, the sound design, design. Yeah. Very, the sound is so jarring and unsettling
1: well should we let Greg go
0: we should let Greg go but not before right. we ask him some questions oh, more oh, questions just, yeah.
1: just, no, we have lightning round oh, okay. there Lights are there. Like three I think yes. Okay,
0: the first question which may take a Lynchian turn, who knows, but what (laughs) is the weirdest thing that you've experienced in a cinema?
2: In the cinema, the weirdest thing? Could be happening to you, could be on the screens, could be anything. Weirdest thing? Yeah. I will go with, talking about Gosper, no way again, um, (laughs) when I saw Irreversible in the theater, I just have a very, it's such a visceral reaction to that movie. And I remember, Watching the rape scene in that movie, and literally like, just feeling like I was getting beat up, like I was okay. cowering, right? My and and I remember that sense of relief when the rape is over, but then she gets raped again, and it's even more like it. Literally, like it, like Gaspar's, uh-huh. like kind of sick sense of humor, just like twisting the screw. Oh. And I barely made it through that scene because I almost left because I couldn't. Stand it, but then I made it past the second rape, and I was really glad it did because I would have missed the best half of the movie, which is the second half, which is right. kind of like it takes such a beautiful turn to me in terms mm. of being about the fragility of life and existence. Yeah. And I don't know if that qualifies as weird, but I just remember it being super intense.
0: Yeah, no, that qualifies. It also makes me think, just on a serious note, about. Women being raped, women being raped in movies, women being raped in movies being directed by men. I don't know what the comment is, but it's something, you know, how we take this in, what it all means, what it is to watch that on a screen. So you're dead right with the intensity. I have,
2: um, in, I have in, men, in men being raped in Mysterious Skin. So, you know, right, yeah. right, a little equal, bit a little bit In, of in, my, equal, yeah, equal in pay. my 30 yeah. years
1: at Sundance, the biggest trigger of that people would have, something pass out in the theaters or, or couldn't stand or have to walk out or get really angry and send really evil faxes to me after (laughs) whatever. It was always about a rape scene, right? Always about rape. That is the one thing that you just, in a movie that people just have such a strong visceral reaction to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, it's so triggering. And so,
1: so triggering,
2: Yeah. it's really intense. Yeah.
1: So we got another question for you. Is there a film, can't be this one, but it's like where you, you thought this, God, I wish I directed that.
2: God, I wish I directed that.
1: Like you saw it and you went, like, I wish I would have directed that film.
2: Not really. Yeah. I think, again, because I'm such a kind of march my own drummer person that I don't really... So it's not Love, Actually? Yeah, it's not, it's not like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that movie. <laughs> um, I'll frame it a different way. Okay. The movie I would love to remake for instance, or like, oh, I, in nice. terms okay. of, it's old. Like, The Lady Eve, I love. Okay. I think it's a <gasps> perfect movie. Mm-hmm. It, so, would I have wanted to direct it? Probably not, because it's perfect as it is. Right. But, such a fantastic movie, and I admire it so much. It's a masterpiece. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. And
1: is there a movie that no matter, this could be like a, a tacky one too, that no matter what, if it's plain, you have to stop and watch it. Like, you can't look away from it
2: probably this so like movie was on one. TV, I would, yeah. I would yeah. click on it and watch it. I mean, I just find it mesmerizing.
0: And is there a bit in this movie, because my movie like that, that Cooper just asked is Towering Inferno.
2: Oh, really? And I have
0: to wait until Robert Wagner gets blown out, that's sucked out of the window. never seen
2: Towering Inferno. So <laughs> right. Oh, man. sorry. Spoiler
0: alert. <laughs> uh, what, but in this one is the, of all those incredible fire. scenes. Is the one that
2: you have to see. Probably the club scene which we're oh, yeah. show. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a watching it again, I mean, I could just watch it over mm-hmm. and over and over yeah. again. It's so gnarly. The way it's shot and yeah. the way it, the they sound designed and that the performances and yeah. it just really it's intense. Yeah. Well yeah. Greg
0: Araki icon of new queer cinema, uh, queer cinema, cinema.
2: and all cinema. cinema. (laughs) Thank you for sharing the film. Thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. It was 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 a pleasure to be here.
1: This interview was recorded prior to the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes.
0: We proudly support the people who work to create these stories and
1: bring them to the screen. If you'd like to share the film that blew your mind, send us an email to stories at com. The Film That Blew My Mind is hosted by me, John Cooper.
0: And me, Tabitha Jackson. Our executive producer is Jessica Buzzard.
1: The show is produced by Goat Rodeo, and to find more of their work, go to GoatRodeoDC.com. Com.
0: Executive producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski
1: and Ian Enright. Creative producers are Max Johnston, Isabel Kirby-McGowan, Rebecca Seidel, and Jay Venables.
0: Mixing and engineering by Rebecca Seidel. Intro music from Wayne Jones.
1: Marketing and publicity by Stephen Raphael at Required Viewing. Graphics by Lee Fenvis. Special thanks to Trevor Groth, Kirsten Chalker, John Nine, and especially Christine Buzzard. Also to all our friends and family who put up with us and our crazy projects.
0: Aww. If you like this episode, why don't you subscribe to stay up to date on new ones and maybe leave us a rating and a review. Oh, and if you have any left, tell your friends.